Hello and welcome to Art Box. I'm your host, Jason. In this episode, I sit down with Kelly Skellers Hancock in her studio. Kelly and I talk about her work practice, her art, and themes. We also talk about Inspiration Matter, what that is, how, and why she started it. I also ask Kelly what advice she would give to her past self and to other artists. So, with that, sit back and relax and enjoy the interview. Kelly, I want to say thank you first and foremost for taking your time to do this. I know you're very busy. It took me a while to arrange the, the time to do this. So um, I would like to start off asking uh, if uh, so, you, could you tell me a little bit about yourself and how and why you got started in the arts? Um, well, thank you. First of all, thank you for inviting me. And um, I love your show. I've listened to a few of your episodes. So. Oh, well, well, thanks. Yes. <laughs> um, so my name is Kelly Sincock and I also go by Kelly Scollard Sincock. I am originally from California, born and raised. I've been living in Virginia now for about 15 years. You know, I honestly cannot remember art not being a part of my life. I started dabbling in drawing and coloring and such at a very young age, I started creating clothing for my, my paper dolls and my Barbies and all that at a really young age. So I honestly can't tell you when I first started because it's just literally been a part of me. It's been in your DNA, essentially. It is in my DNA, yes, absolutely. I can tell you a funny story about that too. Please, please do. So I am adopted and I did not know my biological family until I was 25 years old. I found my biological family and I had already gone off to college and studied art and all of this. And when I met my birth mother, it turns out that not only was she an art major, she was a jewelry, I was a, a metalsmithing jewelry design major for a while and actually for a long while. And she was as well. And she was also an art major. And when I saw her drawings, they looked just like mine. Wow. So it is very much a hereditary thing. It was, I inherited it from her. Her, she's very talented. And wow, that is. That is uncanny. I, I, what other, I can't think of any other descriptions. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's definitely something that I was, I was born to do. It just, it's ingrained in me. I don't know. I've tried doing other things and I can't. (laughs) I always come back to art. Uh, For for the record, I've tried doing other things too. And I find myself not liking it or, or, or something happens. And I I find myself back and feel comfortable and warm and and doing and being a creative. So me too. So uh, uh, with that, and, and thanks for sharing that, um, what is your motivation and approach to your, your own work, uh, like your practice and, and what have you? Well, as you know, I've been running this um, prison arts program and it has quite literally consumed my life. And so m- my personal art practice has definitely taken a second, a backseat to everything else that's been going on in my life. But I'm doing my best to get back into my own practice again. And what I've been doing this time is really looking back at who I was as a young girl, the things that I loved to do, the things that brought me peace, you know, that I, that I, that I drew and I painted just because, not because it was an assignment or that I was hired to do it. It was just something that I just did over and over. And I'm, I'm re-exploring that path for myself um, so that I can get back to the joy of making art rather than the practice of making art. And so what I've been doing is just doing um, sort of intuitive drawings. 
and allowing the drawing to develop itself without me leading it before I even start. And it's been pretty exciting. That's that's where I am right now. Wow. Yeah, that yeah, I, I happened to look at one of your, your painting earlier and that's in progress. That is is a very nice piece. And it Thank looks you. like you are playing with a lot of the, the high contrast kind of aspects of it with using the the shiny background and and your pencil work. And uh, I think you were telling me earlier that that piece that you're still working on is on plywood with color pencil. Yes. That is interesting. Is it watercolor pencil or is it just a straight up color pencil? It's just straight up color pencil. And when that's a perfect example, because when I, I took that, I, it was just a wooden canvas. I put it on the table. I had no set plan. And I just started moving my pencil across the the surface and just allowing the pencil to do what it wanted. I, it was very abstract for a while. <laughs> and then features started developing. And so I just sort of allowed those features to develop on their own. And little by little, these these forms started taking place that I don't know <laughs> where they came from, but right. they were not premeditated. I was not looking at anything. And it was kind of exciting to allow the materials and the movement to create the image. And then I, you know, I, I reached a point where I, I made a decision, okay, this is the image, and now I'm gonna develop that image based on previous knowledge of portrait drawing that I had done. So, and that was just all with a regular graphite pencil. And so then I shifted to adding color with colored pencils just to experiment. And then it just, it kept wanting more. Right. And, and then I had the idea of adding, it's copper leafing actually. Oh, okay. So that's it. copper leafing. It's copper leafing. And I started thinking about, I really love art history and I love ancient art. And um, I really loved the old iconic images that had gold leafing and sort of various religious figures and such. I really loved those. And so I kind of like started playing with the idea of using these images that, that are coming to me in that format. So it's really just an experiment in process. So with the iconography that you're, you're exploring right now with, with that piece, and it looks like it might be more exploration, uh, what period of time were you thinking more like the Byzantine era or more of... Um... Byzantine. Okay. I mean, that's what I keep vision, envisioning yeah. in my head. But I like that the, the face and the images almost... They almost say to me like the twenties or the thirties. It does have that feel of a, a flapper, with, right? Yeah. Exactly, and and you know I can't help but think I keep calling her my muse. Yeah. I can't help but think that she's just this you know spirit that existed and she's just emerging, you know, and saying here I am. You know? Well, I actually can can see that in the piece. It, it is a, a, a coming and, and a staring out into it into the future. Yeah. That kind of ties into this question I'm going to ask you is, uh, so what are your influences, like the people, places, or things, or from where you grew up? I am influenced by a lot of different things. And like, I'm, I'm, I am such a media nerd. Like I, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, I, I love, I love looking through images. I am constantly looking at images and saving them for, you know, inspiration for other pieces you know, I'll take like a little element of, or a feeling from an image and then and store it in my mind for future pieces. I'm inspired everywhere I go. I take about a million photos on my, my phone. My phone here, is just, here. yeah, is overloaded with images. But I like everywhere I go, I, I see things that inspire me. And I take a lot of pictures and I do a lot of editing in my phone. 
and I save those and I use, you know, we were saying that um, there's an app for everything. There's wonderful editing apps out there. I, I play with those a lot. So my inspiration comes from, from everyday life, really, just everything that I do. When, when you started your, your path of being an artist and you started on the West Coast, were the influences of your, your growing up from that environment then, and then obviously you would shift because nowadays you're more into photography. Well, I don't want to say photography, but just uh, uh, social media, just everything around you is influencing you. But back in those days, was it more focused or was it? Um, I would say, and I know this will drive you crazy, <laughs> but my, my path and my process throughout my life was very organic. I, I never lived anywhere longer than three years. I moved a lot. I have moved a lot in my life and I've gone to several different schools and I have far too many school credits than anybody possibly should have in their lives, but I love learning. And through all of these various destinations that I lived, you know, I lived in San Francisco, I lived in Oakland, I lived in Seattle, I lived in Santa Barbara, like in Los Angeles. I was like all over the West Coast and I loved all of them. And each of those destinations held a unique aspect in my creative um, development. Like when I lived in Oakland, I was going to the California College of Arts and I was studying um, film video and I was doing a lot of 3D sculpture work, installation work, which I absolutely loved. And I never left that portion of me behind. I carried the, the technical aspects that I learned there forward then when I was in San Francisco, I actually worked for a fashion designer in-house. I worked for Jessica McClintock. I don't know if you... It's probably, no, I, I honestly don't know. Yeah, but the older, older awesome. people. <laughs> she was, back in the day, she was the designer for Gunny Sacks, which was a really huge, very popular line of clothing, you know, in the 70s, 80s, even into the 90s. But I worked for her in her design firm. I worked directly with her, and I learned a lot about construction of... of Garments. garments. Yeah, I have a, a huge like fashion background that I is still a part of me as well. And my love of fabric and florals and design, things like that, that is also a chunk of who I am. But then I <laughs> I followed the whole Nirvana camp and moved up to Seattle. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I loved that. And that was a whole nother portion of my life. I went to NBCC. It's like the Northern Seattle Community College. And I went there because I wanted to learn metalsmithing because I was really interested in making jewelry. I finished their program and my teacher was like, you can't stop. You, you, you're really good at this. You need to keep going. And so she talked me into transferring to the University of Washington, which, so I ended up doing good that. School. Awesome school, amazing art program. It is a very good art program. I, I miss it actually <laughs> a lot. And um, so I went through their metalsmithing program and did a lot of their sculpture programs as well. Ended up with a, a degree in interdisciplinary art. So that opened up a whole another three-dimensional sculptural uh, arena for me. Then I met my husband and we moved to, to Los Angeles. I started, I was a self-trained graphic designer. And I just started working as a graphic designer. And so I got that whole, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, design background. Design, uh, you know, illustration, right. you know, all of that sort of converged 2D. That's when I really started getting more involved 
in computer work. And I taught myself how to use Photoshop. And now Photoshop is my favorite tool of all time. I use it all the time. So like they all have sort of- For the record, mine is Illustrator, so. Okay. I like Illustrator, but I love Photoshop. No, I I like Photoshop, but uh, I like Illustrator. (laughs) Well, they've converged so much that they are almost interchangeable at this point. You can't tell the difference anymore. Yeah, but back in the day, they had very different purposes. Mm -hmm. And so my purposes, Photoshop really worked the most because I did a lot of photographing. So then my husband and I came to Virginia on a temporary, supposed to be temporary. It was supposed (laughs) to be a two-month contract. And here we are 15 years later. And um, I was here a few years and going, what are we doing? And my husband said, you know, why don't you, why don't, because when I was at Seattle, I was, I'm confessing here, I was one, one semester short of graduating Mm. when I, um, yeah, Mm. when I decided to marry him and leave and like a dummy. Well, I, was, I was so in love. Well, life happened. <laughs> you know, life yeah. happened. We were here and I decided to go back to school and finish my degree. And I went to George Mason. Well, George Mason doesn't have a metal smithing program. And initially I started off in their painting program, um, discovered printmaking. And printmaking was a really amazing discovery for me because it incorporated a lot of the aspects of metalsmithing, same tools, a lot of the same supplies and chemicals, but you're working more in 2D. Yeah, as I say, in drawing. So you were able to kind of um, tap in from your illustrating and, and designing times. Right, exactly. So I switched to printmaking and I finished the printmaking department, you know, the, their whole program. But I also did a, a good chunk of the painting program too because they their painting program was amazing. So I think of each of the destinations that I lived in as a microcosm of the portion of my creative world, which is now like all converging and creating this person I am now. I finally feel like I'm I'm at the point where I could stop learning more and and start putting it all together to create a voice and you know but that that's the thing though. I mean it, it, you'll you'll still learn. Yeah. I mean well, you I like can't to learn. stop. Yeah. It's that that's the thing. And I have a personal philosophy about learning is that as soon as you stop learning, you start dying. I totally agree. Like like you said so far, is that you're starting to basically it's like a train and you start hooking up all the cars onto the engine and then you just have this the caboose will you may not ever have a caboose. Yeah. Uh until the end. But uh but otherwise it, it is a lot of it's connected and, and like you just said through walking through your how you went from metal smithing and three D or, or excuse me, sculptural artwork to then now printmaking and drawing mm-hmm. and uh it, it's the the train of learning and, and you right. don't stop. Boop, boop. But, right. Um, I took a workshop. At, I don't know if you're familiar with Haystack. I'm not, no. Oh, it's, it's amazing. They're up in Missouri. I don't know. Uh, anyways, they're, they're, it's a, a creative arts program where they do workshops every summer. And I took a, um, a metalsmithing course there. And what I started doing is incorporating my printed elements into metalsmith pieces oh, cool. um, like what you took um, some pictures of one of my pieces with the um, magnifying glasses right. it's, it's more of a conceptual piece but that actually has printed 
you know, printmaking printed pieces incorporated in with the sterling silver and copper and all those things. Like, I like this idea of merging different medias together. I have a really hard time sticking with just one media. It just doesn't work for my mind. I'm not going to stop you. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of people who really want you to pick your genre, mm -hmm. your medium, and stick with it because they think then people will recognize who you are. And I get that, but... I get bored really fast. Well, uh, yeah, and personally, I think when uh, it, it stops your growth. Yeah. Because if you get cornered and, and all you're known as is being um, a metalsmith, you're missing out on exploring other ideas that you can do with that. Right. And uh, I, I hear you. I, I've been in there, too, where people have said, you know, oh, you should just stick to doing robots. And I said, no. Well, you know, I, I always think about the old masters, you know, Michelangelo and such. They did everything. They did printmaking, they did sculpture, they did drawing mm -hmm. and painting, they did everything. They were fully round, rounded, trained artists in every aspect. And I, I looked up to them, I still do. I think of myself in that capacity. It's like, I, I want to learn as much as I can. I want, my thing is that I want to be able to make anything that I can envision. And I want to be able to make it myself. Yeah, I hear you on that. I, I'm in the same way. Um, this the show is the same kind of thing. You know, I, I have the equipment. I, you know, I, I want to be able to do it myself. I want to be right. able to, to learn, you know, and do it and do it right or sometimes wrong. Yeah. But um, but the, like to go back to that is that you, I, I don't like feeling boxed either. It's right. it's you know, it's the name of my show, but it's not really in my practice to to be mm. boxed. Yeah. So uh, with that, what kind of themes do you like to explore or have that you found yourself gravitated towards? I'm very interested in metaphysical mm -hmm. and I'm a little bit of a sci-fi geek, a lot actually. And, <laughs> and I like, I don't know, I like mixing science with theology and with um, just life experiences, but I'm also very, very interested in the human body. The human body shows up a lot in my work. It's 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 a one that I, I I have a hard time getting away from. Even if I do work that doesn't include the human body in some aspects, I always feel like it's missing. Oh, like uh, the the reason L, like because that piece you had uh, the, the lines it forms a, a ball or a circle. It's a print. How 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 does that relate to to the myth and uh, mythologies and 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 science? Uh, that's you got me curious now. <laughs> Oh, resonance. Resonance, yes. I'm oh, okay. going to spill it on my cue card. <laughs> okay. Why can I read this right? So now resonance is talking about the energetic field that we give off. Oh. And like even when I was creating that piece, that piece was done. I did my best to eliminate any conscious thought when I was working on it. It was about movement and feeling and feeling my feeling of connection to the material and to everything that we can't see that connects to us. So resonance is talking about how we resonate in this world, not only just person to person, but to our environment, to our higher selves. Like I'm, I'm always, I'm very interested in that concept. And I think that when you really get into these, that, that frame of mind and that space where you, you are creating something that's kind of otherworldly, there's a, perfection and beauty in it, even if it's not aesthetically perfect, there's something in it that you can't deny because it really wasn't you creating it. It was like the universe creating right, it in essence. that moment. It's more of a depiction of a moment 
you know? So I'm really, I'm really interested in, in that concept. I've done paintings or drawings where it was all from my head and I'll finish it and I don't like it. And I'm like, there's something, it just, it feels, something's missing. It feels artificial. It feels forced. And then there's other drawings and paintings that I'm in the zone and I get it done. And then I stand back and I go, oh my gosh, I did that. How did that just happen? Yeah, I can relate to that. (laughs) Yeah, and I love that moment when you realize that there's something bigger going on than just, you know, we're so obsessed as humans, we're so obsessed with our mind and our cognitive abilities that we forget there's so much more going on around us. So that's really what I'm interested in. So uh, kind of going back into some of the works that I, I did see on your website, which, by the way, uh, the people need to go see is your website. It's a, a great, straightforward website. I give you kudos for that because some people sometimes give a very complicated website. Yeah. I like them to be straightforward. and um, I like to think of it as just an online portfolio. It, it, exactly. And it, it's that's what it should be. And your use of using Instagram is great because uh, people can go to the Instagram and check out the current progress right. of your, your latest piece of the muse. The other piece I wanted to talk about in detail, uh, what your motivations or the story behind it and we talked about it earlier before we started the interview was the um the hurricane the heart of the sky Mm -hmm. so can you give us a little background story on that one sure this was for a um a group project this was from the printmaking um group at george mason and i was invited to be part of this portfolio of prints and the theme of it was the Popol Vuh, which is an ancient Mayan text. Each of us, each participant was given a particular character from this ancient text. And our job was to create an image of that character and then all of the aspects of that character's powers or their story within the Popol Vuh. And so I was given Huracan and he's called the heart in the sky. And I, I literally, I went quite literal, like a head with a heart, you know, like I wanted this idea of this pulsating heart in the sky. He was uh, depicted as, or he's thought of as the, the one who created man from corn and wheat. And, but he's also the orchestrator of hurricanes. Huracan is his name, hurricanes and thunder and lightning and storms. And so I depicted him with this, you know, wonderful spinning hurricane and the thunder and lightning spinning out from, from that source. And, and I, I made that in a, it's a linoleum cut. And that's actually my favorite substrate to work on in, in printmaking because I do have a more um, illustrator background. And I like being able to get really fresh, clean lines and it's really crisp black and white images. And I just felt like that lend, lent itself really well to depicting this, this particular character. That was a, it was a really fun show. Like all of everybody's prints were completely different, but they were really wonderful. Do you, uh, how many prints did you make out, out of curiosity? Each time we do these portfolios, we're told how many we have to make, you know, cause each person within the portfolio gets a copy and then the gallery that exhibits, they get a copy, they, they get a portfolio of all the copies. So, and then you usually make a few extras. So I think, think it was like a run of 20 or 25, something wow. like that. That's pretty rare. Yeah. So <laughs> something, I, I want to guess that that was the run. Do, do you still have the, the cut, the Lionel cut, or is it now lost? Oh, no, I still have it. Oh, you still have it? Okay. Yeah, I actually 
I always fall in love with the plates. Mm. And in fact, I, I sometimes feel like the plates are more the art than the actual prints that come from them. So I always hold on to my plates. And sometimes I use the plates in other pieces of art. Wow, that's a good idea. I like yeah. that, yeah. Yeah. For my senior project at George Mason, I played on that concept where I created these very large scale collagraph plates and which I used um, canvas mounted on board. And then I used, a, a, it's a string gel medium. It's a painting medium to create texture. Mm -hmm. Then I inked that up and put paper on that and ran it through a press. And so I ended up with two pieces of art. I ended up with the print and then the plate which was actually, it looks like a painting yeah. because it was done on canvas. So that was, I was playing with this idea of the, the plate itself as an art object, as well as the print that you create. Uh, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Where is it? Where is it? Um, ah, uh, the engager. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. That, no, I'll, I'll tell you the reason why I like okay. it. I like the fact that it's kind of broken down in simple, simple elements. It's just <laughs> a log. And then you have flames that are represented by, I think it's paper. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, it, it just, it, it's straightforward. It's just, just kind of gives you this idea of giving a person out, you know, makes you think outside. It's sitting around a fire and feeling comfortable and warm. It, was that your approach or was it, I'm completely wrong? So this was another invitation. Um, and this was also at George Mason. And it was a call and response. Are you familiar with that. So the idea with a call and response is that you have one person who's the caller and they will usually give you a written cue. It's usually poetry. And then you have the responder who makes a piece of art in response to the poem. So in this case, we were each given our role. We are the artists were matched up with a poetry major. And so the poetry major would write it, it we could go either way. Either they could write a poem and you would respond to it, or you could make a piece of art and they would write poetry in response ah. to your artwork. So in this case, uh, my partner, Matthew is his name, he he wrote a poem. And to be completely honest with you, I did not understand the poem. It was quite complex. What I got from the poem was that his life was in a very crazy state and was very um, just... There was anger, frustration, a lot of things happening at that point. And it was it was exhibited in his poem or expressed in his poem. So I took that feeling of this and I interpreted it as sort of a fire and anger, like something he really needed to get out of him. And so what I ended up doing is taking a log. It was just a found log. He wrote extra copies on, um, I want to say it was rice paper and in India ink. And we mounted the some of the text from his poem onto the log itself. And then I built this, it's a wire structure. It was steel wire and copper wrapped to create this flame type form. And then I used paper. It's, like a, it's almost like a paper mache, but not quite as close. And so I created this elegance, I thought, of the, the fire coming out of the words. And I don't know if initially I really wanted it to read as fire, but I definitely wanted to, it to read as an emotion coming, emanating from this heavy state of thought and, and feelings that he was, he was in at that time. 
So that's actually one of my favorite pieces too. Wow, it, it completely flips what my interpretation of us. Thank you yeah. for for sharing that. Engager was actually the title of his his poem. Oh, I still don't totally understand the the title, mm. but there is something engaging about it. Something that pulls you in to really look closely and try to see what he was expressing. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look at that again. I mean. <laughs> Too bad you don't have it around here. I'd actually like to look it's it up. It's quite large. It's, oh, is it really? Oh, yeah. It's almost as tall as me. Oh, wow. It's a big piece. Wow. What advice would you give other artists or more importantly, your past self? Oh, wow. wow. I love this question. Well, the advice I would give my past self is to not doubt the path because my path changed so much over the years that I did doubt myself a lot. I... I looked at other people who like went from high school straight to college for four years and they got their degree and then they were working and then they like, they seem to have this path. So the plan, yeah, this plan. And they, it was so perfect. And, and I, I, I envied them because everything looked so simplified and structured and well thought out. And here I was just like chipping away at the school and then chipping away at the school and taking several side jobs just to survive in between each of them. And then, you know, life's ups and downs. I, I never felt like I had the privilege to be in one place and finish what I was working on. So I, I, was, I, I was down on myself a lot for that. I, I still struggle with it. But looking back at it now, it makes sense. Like I needed all of those aspects to be where I am right now with this. I have such a rich amount of information and experience and I've lived in so many different places with different types of people. And I've had so many different jobs. I feel like I'm like this walking wealth of information uh, and people will say to me, like, what don't you know how to do? Because I'm like, oh, I know how to do that. Oh, I know how to do that. And they're like, how do you know all of these things? And it's just simply because I had to. It was survival. You've learned a lot, yeah. Yeah. And so I would tell myself, just don't, don't doubt the process. Just go with it. Don't fight it. Just do your best. I would tell other artists two things. One is... There's room for everybody. There's this idea out there that if one person succeeds, that takes away a position or a spot for, some, for you. And that's a myth. There is room for everybody because everybody is unique and brings something different to the table. So I would love to see artists helping one another more and more communal without you know, feeling like you have to compete with each other because there's space and room for everybody. There really is. And the other would be to trust yourself. You, you will hear, hear people tell you, you should do this, you should do that. Oh, well, you're good at that, so you should do that when your heart is telling you you should do something else. Always listen to your heart because it, it doesn't matter. Like you will try, and I did. I tried doing other things that people said you should do. I was a graphic designer for years and I hated every minute of it. It was grueling and painful and oh, it was really bad on my body and my eyes. And I, it was just to get a paycheck and it didn't serve me in my, my own development. And you know, in certain ways I learned things. Well, yeah, you did, you're gonna naturally pick up stuff, but I see what you mean though. It but I, you know, if I wanted to have a vital career, um, 
doing graphic design, I could. Yeah, we wouldn't it, be sitting here talking. No, it just literally, like, the jobs would just keep coming to me. But I, I hate it. I just really don't. And to people who, who love doing that, that's no offense. It's just not, I'm not built for that work. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. It, not everyone, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, not everyone wants to, you know, um, be a sailor either. So. Yes. <laughs> but the thing is, but so I, I would tell other artists to, it, it's hard, but sometimes you just have to say thank you. But I, I think I've got it figured out. You know, I'm, I'm going to follow this path. And if it doesn't work out, then you move on to the next thing. But you take what you can along yeah. on that journey. Well, okay. Now that was, <laughs> no, that was actually, that was a beautiful response. Um, Thank you. I've had some people who basically, if you have a quick response and then, you know, others, have, it, but yours was very thoughtful. And I, I appreciate that. I mean, those two things too, because trust me, I heard it all. Oh, I, I, I believe you. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about uh, Inspiration Matters. Okay, so Inspiration Matters is a heart project of mine. This was probably about five years ago. A friend invited me to the Lorton Prison. Mm-hmm. And if you're familiar, the, the Lorton oh, yes. Workhouse, which is yeah. an amazing art center. With prison was a prison converted into an art center. And golf and, course. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, the grounds are also a, a beautiful golf course. Oh, oh that's cool. Well, they have fun fact for the day. <laughs> I have to go check. They often have speakers come out, and they had this one presentation where um, past guards who had been guards for years and years and years when the prison was active um, mm. worked there, and they had collected artwork from the inmates. And you know, oftentimes they would barter with the inmates for artwork they would give them a pack of cigarettes for a painting and you know whatever they had really great stories and you know i I went kind of with this idea thinking oh you know the artwork will be kind of cheesy but the artwork was beautiful it was amazing i was blown away and so i was i was completely enraptured by this whole talk and uh, my friend that was with me gina she leaned over and she said you should do that and i said do what? Go jail. And she said, no, you should teach art in jails. And I was like, you know, it was so far out of my realm of thought. Cause I was at George Mason. I was going to school. I was like focused, like, okay, whatever, you know? Okay. And then, um, about two, a little over two years ago, I was really mad at the current political system that with things that were happening politically. And I was doing a lot of complaining. I was. And so I thought, okay, I can sit around and post all my complaints to the world, or I can get up and do something that I believe in. And so the first thing that popped in my head was I, well, the first thing is like, I, the best way I can give back is through something I know and understand, which is art. And then I thought, well, you know, how could I, I give to the community art-wise? And then Gina's words, like they emerged in my head. And she said, you know, I heard her say, you should teach art in jails. And so on a whim, I reached out to the Alexandria Detention Center. And I just said, hey, do you have a need for an art teacher? And they were like, yes, come talk to us. And I, I had no class agenda. I had nothing set. I had no idea what I was going to do, but I just felt like it was the right thing to do. And so I went in after I got all the background check and all that stuff. All the clearance, yeah. Yeah, the clearance and all that stuff. I went in and I taught my first class and literally first class, 
I was hooked. Absolutely loved it. That's awesome. Absolutely loved it. The students, they were all men. It was a men's class. and It was like 30. It was anywhere from 25 to 30 men in this one small room. That's just a big class regardless. That's a lot of students. It's a lot of students. But they were so eager and so happy to have something to do that where they could decompress. They were really curious too. It was really honestly one of the best experiences. I walked out on such a high, just, I, I felt... You know, one of those moments in life where you felt like you feel everything like you're is, in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Everything just is aligning perfectly. So I taught there and I started teaching the women as well. I taught there for about six months until I felt like I had a, a good program set. And then I reached out to Fairfax and asked them if they would be interested in an art program. And they said the same thing. Yes, please come talk to us. <laughs> and so... Um, now, two, almost two and a half years later, I've, I have taught well over 400-plus wow. students, and male and female, and they just are amazing. I, and the Inspiration Matters, by the way, was actually the name that, that the inmates came up with. Um, we, we took a while to come up with a name. Their, their first choice, <laughs> you'll, I think you'll appreciate, their first name they came up with was Art Did It. Oh, God. <laughs> Puns. I know. Oh. I mean, you know, everyone tells me you should have used that name, but, you know. No, I like Inspiration Matters. Inspiration Matters. And the reason I went with um, Inspiration Matters is because I had started branching off and doing work with shelters as well. So I didn't want it to be solely about incarceration. I wanted right. it to be about other things as well. So other groups outside of jail. So I went with Inspiration Matters and it's it's just steadily growing and changing. So now I I just recently attained my studio space, which is a, literally across the street from the jail, which is convenient. And I'm I'm extending the program to students who excel in my class who really show a, a genuine interest in continuing their art training so that once they're released um, and if it's within their probation, they can come and take one day a week a class with me in the studio and continue their work. That is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. That's, that's, that's great because, you know, in some, sometimes some of these things, you know, they, they help people and then at a certain point they just stop. Yeah, I have a lot of those. <laughs> and uh, but the fact that uh, you 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 want to have them continue with you, you they want to mm-hmm. continue is, yeah. is is great because you're setting them on a path yeah. that uh, they may become graphic designers and love it. Well, they they often ask me in in the class, you know, how how can I keep studying with you once I'm out? And I tell them, you know, get in contact me with me and we'll work it out. A lot of my students are they're being detained there before they're transferred to another facility. Oh. And some are there for a long time. Like I recently, one of my guys was waiting for a year and a half. Jeez. And um, I've had longer than that too. So I have a good amount of time to work with them and get to know them. But the best part is that, and this really makes me happy, is that when they get transferred to another facility, they start teaching the skills that I taught them to other inmates in these in the other facilities. And and I get feedback from their families and from them sometimes. You're like, oh yeah, I started teaching your portrait drawing process 
because they're they're really 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 into the portrait drawing thing because they can actually use that as commerce say, yeah. within within the jail they'll do drawings of family members for other um, inmates and they'll, they'll barter for food and commissary goods so it it's it's a win-win. Yeah. So, you know, looking in here in your studio, uh, you have a lot of art supplies. Yes, I do. Do you have a way for people to, uh, do you get them donated to you or? I have been so blessed. I can't tell you. I Well, first of all, I don't know if you're familiar. There's a group, there's a, it's a program, I guess, on Facebook called Buy Nothing, B-U-Y, Nothing. And how it works is you sign up in your immediate community and you have, you have to tell them exactly where you live so that they know you're within their parameters. Right. And you can give things away or you can ask for things. You, there's no selling or trading or anything like that. It's just literally giving things away, but you can ask for things. And so I went to my community and I said, hey, I'm doing this. <laughs> this arts program in the jail. And, you know, I'm constantly in need of materials and supplies. I mean, like we go through these so fast and you know, the art, oh, yeah. art materials and supplies are so expensive. Yeah. I think so, wrongly so personally. Oh, it's crazy. And uh, we fly through them and, you know, the, the jails will give me a little bit at the beginning of a session, but it's gone yeah. within a month or two. We, we go through it. So I, I reached out and said, Hey, you know, if you have any arts, materials or supplies lying around that you're not using anymore, will you send them my way? <clears throat> and I'm not kidding. For the next four weeks, I was, because you have to drive and pick them up. I was driving from one house <sighs> to another house to another house, literally picking up bags wow. and bags of all these art materials and supplies. And a lot of the, what you see here is from them. Wow. And then I also was approached by um, one of the representatives for the Delray Artisans in Alexandria. And they mm -hmm. said they were really interested in my program and they said, Hey, how can we support you? And I was like, I always need supplies. So they have done supply campaigns through them. And then they've also done fundraisers for my program. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's, they have been really wonderful, really, really supportive. And that's primarily how I get majority of my supplies. I, I we, me and my husband, we actually fund a lot of this ourselves, obviously, but cause well, I'm a volunteer. A yeah. Hmm? yeah. It's, you're volunteering. Yes. And it's a passion. It is. It's a it's a heart project. And I have to give a shout out because my husband's been 100% <laughs> supportive through the whole thing, you know, which is sort of amazing because I'm not paid to do this work. Right. I'm, I am. I'm a volunteer. And so uh, are there other volunteers with the with the program or is it just you? So far, it's just been me. And I hate to leave, you know, the guys and the girls look forward to my class so much every week that I hate to be gone. Yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah. yeah, they really, really look forward to it. It's their it's it's class is an hour and a half long, and that's their respite. That's their time of the week where they can just decompress and sort of pretend they're somewhere else, and you know, emerge their mind into their artwork. They always tell me when they leave, like, "I love this class. I wish it was longer. I wish it was three days a week rather than one day." You know. <laughs> All the time. That, that's nice to hear. Yeah. That, yeah. But like you said, you you know, probably wouldn't hurt to have other volunteers yeah. step in and, right. you know, and help expand the program. Absolutely. So, you know, and it's, I, you know, I'm dealing with two different sheriff's offices and yeah. it's very, you know, you have to, to follow their 
regulations, their rules, you know, like, and so uh, it's been a huge learning curve from, oh, I'm I just bet. an artist, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like learning how the hierarchy within a sheriff's system works and even, you know, outside of the jail and then also within the jail, you know, it's getting the right people who can work within those very, very structured circumstances is not easy. You can't just walk in and say what you want and wear what you want and do what you like. You you have to follow your P's and Q's. It has to be structured so that they feel safe with you being there. I mean, they're taking a risk by allowing me to bring in a bunch of sharp objects and, you know, have them do these classes. People could get hurt, never had a problem. My students are so happy that I'm there. I don't think they would do anything to risk it, you know, ruining it or losing right. it. And, um, you know, you know, obviously people worry about my safety, but I have never, not even once felt unsafe. I was going to say, if you did feel unsafe, you still wouldn't be doing it. No, I wouldn't. So no, I feel very safe. I have, you know, there's, um, correctional officer officers everywhere. And, you know, they're not in the room with me, but they're nearby. And, but, you know, Honestly, I, I think just, that's a good thing, actually, because it allows your students to, mm -hmm. to kind of explore and be open and not have to have this watchful eye over them. Right. Yeah, no, they do. They they can decompress with me because the last thing I do is walk in and judge them. It's just not my right. place. Yeah. They're serving their time. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Exactly. So it's not my job, job to be their judge or to to punish them further. They're there. They're being good. They're doing what I'm telling them to do. Right. You know? They're, they're so, there to learn how to, to 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 draw and paint and and yeah. look and and look and feel and be able to see what they draw and draw what they see. Yeah. The one thing that I um I am constantly amazed by is the amount of untapped talent that sits behind bars. It frustrates me. I can't. If I well, I, I would say it, it would it be because that uh, maybe someone gave them doubt. Now allow them to explore yes. or something like that. Yes, absolutely. They tell me that somebody told them something negative when they were young and they just stopped trying. Right. You know, I hear a lot that, oh, I, I can't draw anything beyond stick figures. And I'm like, that's absurd. Anybody can. I can teach anybody how to draw. It's just a matter of putting those those worries and fears aside and allowing yourself to go through the steps and make mistakes and then fix the mistakes. Right. You know, anybody can learn to draw. I was always told about with painting, it's always about fixing the mistakes. It <laughs> is. And it really is. It's like you're always or, or compensating or making up for, oh, oops, I made this line a little too dark. I got to yeah. fix it. But that, which is shadowing, you know, so it's yeah. that kind of thing. Well, we do. We talk a lot about things like that and we, we tie them back to life. You know, it's like you can't get anywhere in your life if you're worried about making a mistake. Yeah. You know, you have to be able to make mistakes. And, you know, and I'm looking at them going like, clearly there were some mistakes made for you guys to be here, but this is not the end of your life. This could be just the beginning exactly. of, a, of a fresh life yeah. with a new perspective. And so, you know, we talk about those things all the time. I mean, they tell me stuff that I walk out going, wow, <laughs> I never thought about that. You know, like I learn from them all the time. That That's that's a sign of a good teacher if you're willing to learn from the students as oh, well. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I learn from them all the time. So how, how do they select the students to be in your class? That's a good question. And it's a good question because there is this assumption, and I've heard it quite a bit from people that if I'm there and I'm teaching the class, then they must be like light offenders, people who have not, you know, maybe got a DUI or something like that. But that's not the case. 
I have people in my classes who have murdered people. I have some very, very, very serious offenders in my classes. And that's why I think it's important to state that I don't judge them on what they did. I actually try not to know why they're there because I don't want it to cloud any of my, the way I teach them or think, you know, interact with them. But the way they choose the people who come into the classes, well, first of all, there's a huge waiting list to get in my classes and there's only one of me and so much time, but they have to be on good behavior. They have to have proven themselves as reliable in previous classes. So it's really a behavior-based program. It's, it's like a, a reward. So if they, let's say they're in my class and they have what's called a keep separate, a keep separate is when you get an altercation with someone and then you're, they keep you away yeah. from that person. So if you're in, not only if you're in the same class, but in a classroom that's in the same hallway, one of you will lose your privilege for your class because they can't be in the hallway together. So like if someone gets two keep separates, they lose their privilege for my class. And, you know, sometimes it's just temporary as a punishment and then they get it back. Sometimes they don't. So it's really, it's based on performance. You know, they like to reward good behavior. If you're going to be, you know, causing fights and, you know, in the lunchroom or whatever. Crazy raisin ruckus. Yeah. Then they're not going to put you in in classes, especially when there's a a waiting list of people waiting to get in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the very first class you taught, what was the very first lesson that you you gave since you walked in there not really having uh, a syllabus in, in mind? Gosh, that's a, I, I believe I, my, I'm trying to remember, my very first class, and, and this is a great story, so I'm going to tell you this. In my very first class, the very first student who walked into my class, his name was Robert He's an older gentleman, and his very first words to me were, I don't know what I'm doing here. I can't draw. The best you're going to get out of me are stick figures. And I said, well, just stick with me, Robert, and we'll see where it goes. I believe that my very first project was the portrait drawing project, which is interesting because, you know, it's the grid project where we break the image down into grids. Mm-hmm. So we it makes it so much easier to deal with small fractions yep. rather than a big picture. And so he tried that drawing and he got about a quarter of the way and, and he chose a really hard picture too Ooh, for his yeah, first one. Yeah. And he gave up. And so he said he wanted to do a paint by number. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I came up with a painting project that he loved and he did really well. And he did like three paintings. And then he said, you know what? I think I'm ready to try the portrait drawing project again. I was like, okay. So other, other students had finished their portraits because he was seeing the progress that they were making doing that. And he did his first portrait drawing and it was pretty good. And then he's like, okay, I want to do it again. And so he kept doing one after another after another. And by the time he was my longest running student, by the time he was released, which was about two years, his portrait drawings were almost so close to photorealistic. Wow. They were amazing, amazing, just beautiful work. Wow. And he, he had literally transformed as a person. And um, when, I'll never forget this. The, the day, it was like a day or two before he was going to be released, and it was his last class with me. He you know, came up to me and he said, 
you know, thank you so much for, for doing this. And, and I stopped him and I said, Robert, you know, he had his, his drawing and I said, Robert, do you remember your very first drawing you did? Do you remember what you said to me? And he, he started crying and he was like, Miss Kelly, they call me Miss Kelly. He said, Miss Kelly, I wish I had had you as my teacher in elementary school. Wow. That's pretty heavy. Yeah. He said, and he said, he said, you know, if I had known that this was inside of me when I was young, I think my life would have taken a much different path. And this is a gentleman who was in and out of jail throughout his, he was, he told me his first arrest was at 14 years old and he was in and out of jail his entire life. Mm. And he, and I believe him. I, you know, I, I think if he had had any concept that he had such skills that his life would have taken a different path. But he was such a great example for me. Like, you know, he tried, it didn't work and he moved on to something else and then he came back to it. And then something like the painting for some reason clicked in his mind, whereas the drawing didn't initially. So, but then when he returned to drawing, it's like he was seeing it differently. Yeah. So like, like I said, I learned from watching them and how they learn yeah. how they progress. Yeah. So, so that was a long answer to, I think it was the portrait drawing project was the very first one. <laughs> that that kind of actually just put chills down my back. Yeah. Well, well, thank you again for taking your time out to do this interview. I appreciate it. And you're um, so welcome. And that, that, that is uh, some life lessons right there. So yeah. thank you again. You're welcome. And thank you for asking me. Hey, no problem. I really appreciate it. I want to say thank you to Kelly for taking the time for doing the interview. If you want to learn more information about Kelly, you can go to her website at kellysincock.com. That is K-E-L-L-I-S-I-N-C-O-C-K.com. Or her Instagram, which is Kelly underscore Sincock. For Inspiration Matters, you can go to their Facebook page at Inspiration-Matters. To hear the full length of this episode and past episodes, go to Artbox's Mixcloud page at mixcloud.com backslash artboxinthednv. And you can go to our website at artboxdnv.com. Our Instagram page is artboxdnv, and our Twitter handle is at artdnv. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.